Within Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? What is good? It's great to have the NBA back. Um, just feels nice. I know we are, we're just getting started the season. The in-season tournament is actually going to kick off in two days um, with some truly abhorrent court designs, which I'm still fuming about. But nonetheless, it's good to have the NBA back. Uh, it's good to see the stars playing. Um, I know there have been some injuries like Devin Booker and some other guys, but it's just, you know, the idea that Zion and Kawhi have combined to miss zero games, I think, this season is still kind of blowing my mind. Uh, hopefully that lasts because it's just fun to see those guys out on the court after what feels like a long time. Yeah, let's take what we can get with those guys and some others. Um, you know, AD and LeBron still playing. So, yeah, there's there's guys sitting out, but for the most part, we still got a lot of full squads uh, first weekend. The, the player participation policy, is that the, what they call it? Yeah, the player That's, participation policy accounts for, I think, 49 guys based on, like, all-star and all-NBA selections, of which both of those are definitely included. And it hasn't really they ha- hasn't really worked so far, given some of the rest, especially with the Suns have been getting. Um, so we'll be curious to see how that affects the rest of the season. But I will say, this is the best time of the year, right? All the sports. Was it yesterday or today where it's supposed to be, I think, five different sports are all going on at once? Um, I know Monday was a sports equinox because you had Monday Night Football with the World Series with uh, NBA and NHL. I don't know what the, what, what was the fifth sport? Volleyball or something? I don't know, like MMA or Cric- something. Cricket? <laughs> Great. India absolutely mowing people down in the Cricket World Cup right now. Just, oh, yeah? I've not been following. I mean, um, Virat but, Kohli, what he's doing to the world is, is getting a little ugly. I did see Vivek post an IG reel of... Yeah, he gave him a jersey. Coley's jersey. <laughs> I mean, to put this in perspective, England, which is you know traditionally a strong power, we boat raced them by a hundred runs on uh, on Sunday. So, wow. What can you say? I think you know the cup might be ours. It might be coming home this year. Damn, that's big. That's big. Uh, I will say I am tired of the World Series. I'm ready for it to be over. Friday, it, night. it is over. No, you're in luck. It's over. It's over. Who won? Yeah. The Rangers won, like, literally five <laughs> seconds ago. Okay, thank God. <laughs> Your wish was granted. We were at a bar Friday night watching Warriors-Kings, and the audio was still, like, the World Series game was going on at the same time. But everyone in the bar wanted to watch Warriors-Kings. Of course, we're in San Francisco. But it's like they had an obligation to play the World Series because it's this huge sporting event. I was like, dude, just turn, like, nine out of these ten TVs onto the Warriors-Kings game. No one else will care. But... We have to keep the charade that baseball matters. I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's had a little bit of a come up. I know you didn't watch much this season. I watched zero seconds of the World Series. I can't say that I did, but I went to three Cubs games and the pitch clock does make a big difference. Yeah. A tight two and a half hours is actually nice. Uh, Keeps the things moving. You don't have all like the grabbing your jock, adjusting your pants, doing this and that, stepping in and out of the batter's box a hundred times. They just actually just get up there, pitch, hit, and, and move on. So they're making some changes, but yeah, I mean, I don't think – we're not a baseball podcast. Nahel's already going to be really pissed about this level of discussion <laughs> uh, about the about the America's game, but uh, America's pastime. But let's move on to the actual topic at hand, the NBA. Um, okay, so one week in. We were going to start with overreactions, underreactions, which we'll certainly get to. I don't know what an underreaction is, but 
we got to start with James Harden. Um, we knew this was coming at some point. Uh, we even mentioned this in our over-unders pods when we were taking Philly and talking Clippers in terms of whether or not Harden was going to end up uh, in L.A., which now was official as of last night. Deep, deep trade timeline. It was like 1 a.m. when that was announced, or 1.30 a.m. Central. So I was asleep. I was um, awake. It was probably another reason why Pacific Time is best, better, because you can fire off tweets as the trade's happening. Um so it's hard into the Clippers with PJ Tucker. It is a bunch of expiring contracts, Robert Covington, Nicholas Batum, Marcus Morris. And I guess it turned out to be, what is it? Two firsts and two seconds is kind of how they figured it out. Uh, they got a swap sort of in there. I'm a little confused by the exact nature of the trade, but bottom line is it kept Terrence Mann um, back, which was, you know, a pretty big leverage point earlier in the discussion. So let's take this from, the Clippers end because they're the ones acquiring the biggest name here. You now have two MVPs, four all-stars, a ton of offensive firepower and a ton of guys who love the ball, not to mention Norm Powell, Bones Highland, some other dudes who also love the ball, but are less accomplished off the bench. So what do you make of this new look Clippers who frankly have gotten off to a pretty good start uh, this season already? You know, you know, in a vacuum, the trade doesn't look that great. You're trading for Harden uh, who's, on the wrong side of 30, he's got his own injury and uh, conditioning concerns. And ultimately, you gave up that 2028 first rounder and then a swap in 2030. Was that what it was? Swap in, yeah. See, that's what I was confused about exactly because they had, they threw OKC in the deal yeah. to sort of somehow get another first, I think, is what happened. I don't know what, what they're doing, but. It's, it's a, you know, it's some, those are it's good dra- draft capital that will matter, right? 2028, they could be very likely bad and same with 2030. So I could mm-hmm. come back to bite them. But look, I think it's a good trade for the Clippers. It's a win for the Clippers uh, and a win for the Sixers because they painted themselves into a corner with Kawhi and Paul George already. This was a team Bomber has already gone all in on um, with vets. They brought Westbrook in. At this point, their best option was to raise the ceiling even further and and try to buoy some of the injury concerns that might happen. Um, the fact that Kawhi is not going to play 82 games in the season, no matter how good of a start he's gotten off to. So Harden comes in and raises that floor and raises their ceiling collectively. Now, can it fall apart? Absolutely. But this is the kind of there was no better move on the table for the Clippers, I think, to really give them a shot at the title this year. And and if they are serious about it, with Kawhi playing, with Paul George playing. Um, it makes sense. Like I think Harden gets a bad rep for his playoff performances and his the way he's sulked out of all these different situations. But at the end of the day, he's going to help steady that offense, gives him a playmaker. Uh, I don't know what they do with Russ now and if Russ is going to be upset, but I like it. I think it it makes sense for what they ultimately are 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 today and what they were going to be the next couple of years. They might as well go all in on a move like this. Yeah, you know, I've gone back and forth about whether or not I thought this was a good deal. On one hand, you could argue this is subtraction by addition, right? Like, they didn't really give up much of guys who were meaningful to them. Like, Batum played, Covington played a little bit. Those guys were not very good at this point, and Marcus Morris didn't play at all. He was banished. So you're talking about two fringe guys for the league assist leader last season, a guy who scored 40 twice against the Celtics in round two. So, you know, that's all the question of like, is this just baseline? Like, do we do this no brainer? But I really do think it's a good move for the Clippers for a couple of reasons. 
One, and I'm so I'm going to disagree a little bit in that I know that the draft capital is out there. I know that that's probably going to be a big deal. I would argue that the Clippers, with the way they spend, and Steve Ballmer's not going anywhere. That net worth is only increasing with the way my guy Satya has taken over Microsoft's stock price here. Um, you really don't have a guy who's going to pull back spending the way uh, I almost said Porzingis. What was the owner's name of uh, the Nets? The Russian guy? Prokhorov? No. Prokhorov. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The way he pulled back, right? So everyone forgets that when the Nets made that ridiculous Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce trade, it was a bad deal. But the other half of the equation was that Prokhorov was like, shit, I'm getting broke. I need to stop spending like crazy and sell the Nets. Right, so halfway through the 2010s, they stopped being the team they were when they assembled all those guys together. I don't think that's going to be happening with the Clippers, especially with the new arena. So although, yes, those Kawhi, PG, Harden, Westbrook, none of them are probably going to be there uh, in 2028, I don't think he's going to stop the wheel from turning, meaning they're still going to be competitive, and I think they're going to still try to find a way to, to, to win. Um, so that's one. Two, I just feel like it raises their floor in the regular season because Harden plays and he's productive whenever he plays and gives a shit, which he certainly will right now. And also in the playoffs, they don't need him to be anything more than a distributor. Like we always talk about like, you know, with Embiid, who's also a little bit of a shy away from the moment kind of guy, he's still needed right with, um, you know, Houston, he was the main guy. You saw how it worked in Brooklyn, right? That was magic for a little bit of time when you had two dudes who are going to take the big shots and the big moments between KD and Kyrie. And I actually think it's going to work very similar with Kawhi and PG here. They're going to take the load. They're going to take late game offensive creation and shot making. I think it's going to lessen the burden on Harden and allow him to play uh, truly a facilitator role, which is, I think, the stage of his career he's in. But as you saw from Philadelphia, he was still needed to be, you know, Houston Harden at times. I don't think he's ever really needed to be that version uh, in the playoffs, at least when, when at full health. Yeah, it's a good point. That that version of Harden that we always criticize is not the version that he's going to have to be. So that's a big point. And that you're right. They, you know, the first all the frameworks of this trade had man going out, or it had um, them losing Norm Powell, and the fact that they kept those guys who are still key rotation pieces is is big. It's important. They still have their depth. They've got now Harden to help stabilize their regular season unit and. It's good. I, the, the problem, I think the biggest criticism of this trade is just that, is it really make you anyone scared of the Clippers? Is it really changing the way you think about them long term? Not that much. I think it just gives them, uh, like we both talked about, a higher floor and, and kind of a safer path in the playoffs potentially. But I still don't see this as putting them up in the upper tier of contenders just yet up with Denver or anyone else. So Bill Simmons had that point. It's like, they're not going to be Denver no matter what. But if that's the goal, then why don't we just all shut this thing down, right? If Denver's so dominant that nobody's going to compete. At the end of the day, the Clippers, this is what I always thought was weird when the Warriors were like running that, you know, having that stretch of dominance. Now the Clippers, I'm sorry, the Nuggets are nowhere near that. But let's say they're the favorite. Um, If you're already conditioned and built to win, what can you really do beyond just go for it? I mean, they didn't totally mortgage the farm, right? The way they did when they got Paul George. So I don't think this is a deal that has like that level of implications if it doesn't work. I mean, he's an upcoming free agent. You know, maybe there's a world in which this goes so horribly wrong that he leaves and then PG and Kawhi opt out and leave too. I'm less, you know, of the mind that that's going to happen. I think they want to stay. They didn't even get extended and haven't made a fuss about it, which is surprising. I think it kind of tells you that there's a bit of a wake up call for both of them. 
And so to me, I think it's going to still be stable with those guys, even if they're not like 2019 versions of themselves. I think it gives them a high enough floor that they add around it, even if Harden's not the guy. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's why I like the trade. I'm not saying that because it doesn't make them contenders, that's not good. I think there was no move that would have made them at the Denver Nuggets level, right? But this is probably the best move they could have made. Um, so yeah, man, I mean, I think it's good. I like it. And Paul George is off to a great start this season. You know, he's averaging like 27 on 55% shooting. Kawhi also playing well and playing. So this is it. This is the year. I think they all want to go in. And Balmer wants them to, I think the directive is coming from him as well. Because a good year this year means you fill up the seats and into a dome next year. So I really think that all these guys are all in this year. The biggest one that I'm I'm curious to see is Westbrook. They, you know, yes. I don't know if you saw that video in the locker room. It didn't seem like he was thrilled. It wasn't like seeing his old buddy. Would um, you be? They've now failed twice together. I guess you couldn't call OKC a fail, but they certainly failed in Houston. And now this guy just came and took your job. Yeah, exactly. And you know he's going to take over a lot of the playmaking and ball handling duties that Westbrook enjoyed having in L.A. last year. So that is going to be interesting. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm sick of all these guys. I want all these guys to just get out of the league. <laughs> yeah, you said that. You're like, who? Harden, Westbrook, Kawhi, and KD. Was that the four that you were like? It's the yeah, NBA's these guys need to just leave and retire. Speaking of KD, man. I know we're going to get to the Wemby conversation, but what the hell was that game yesterday? That, I don't know if you caught it or caught the end. What a collapse. What a I watched collapse. the whole second half and Spurs just inching back, never looked really in doubt until truly the last minute of the game. But anyway, we'll get to that in a second. Let's go Philadelphia for a second. So Philadelphia, you know, they are in a really interesting spot and and I think had to make this move, probably should have done it already, just given, you know, how uh, precious their time is with Embiid. Right. And so Maxi's playing like a stud. Philly looks pretty good. And in a way, I actually like this for them. They add guys who can help. Again, I think they can help more than the corpse of James Harden, who wasn't playing. And then truly the corpse of PJ Tucker, who was 40 years old and refusing to shoot the basketball. So in that standpoint, they, they added basically three more Tobias Harris's to go with their current Tobias Harris. And they give Maxi the keys to the offense. And I think it's going to be really exciting. They're probably going to want to play faster. They're going to play more downhill and I think they're going to allow him to to really grow into that offense he's got a max deal coming they have max cap space this summer as we know so I think they have to still perform the season to convince Embiid this is the long-term fit but assuming they can get a top four seed which I don't see why they wouldn't you can pencil them into round two and then from there I think Embiid's kind of has to carry them home uh to something greater but but where did you think Philly was because I, I liked what they did I thought they got good value given the situation I loved it. Given the situation, I don't think there were high expectations of them getting much, and they turned it into draft capital. They turned it into go- I mean, Covington, like um, yeah, those Morris, guys are jags. Like, they're whatever. jags, but at least they're they're bodies, right? They're bodies that can fit a rotation, even if it's the end of the rotation. Uh, and Maxi, I think they were convinced that Maxi these first couple of games he's been just lighting things on fire. And with Nick Nurse, this offense, right, is very much uh, less pick and roll, more dribble handoff uh, type offense. And so I think they'll be fine. The the question that you raised, though, this is a lot Embiid has had to deal with. You deal with the Simmons saga. You deal with the Harden saga. And sure, they got some picks out of it, but they're not filling in that void. If they don't fill in that void this year with a trade, 
even if Embiid underperforms in the playoffs, he can look at it like, yo, you guys are not putting the right people around yeah. me. So there's a lot of pressure on them, I think, to make that trade this year. I don't I don't know if they'll just and, be sitting on their laurels uh, and heading into the postseason. I think they might be a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, it's a good point. Like this is – everyone has said they're not going to be able to trade Harden for a star, so they have to trade him for assets that could potentially be turned into a star, right? So now you're looking at – they obviously have all these tradable contracts, but then you're looking at who? Like a Pascal Siakam is the one name that keeps coming up. I really don't know who else is out there that would be, you know, enticing. Now that Drew Holiday got moved, maybe you could do something on the fringes, right? Like you go get like a Malcolm Brogdon. Um, I don't know how much that moves the needle for Embiid, especially given he can't stay healthy. It's interesting because you're right. I don't think they can just say, hey, we got max cap space. You're good until then, right? Because he's 29. That's one more season of his prime that you're, in theory, not in championship contention. I mean, holy shit, look at what Boston's doing right now, right? They added Porzingis. They added Drew Holiday. They look freaking incredible. And so he's looking at it like, we're not going to be able to compete with Boston. So how are we going to get better enough to, for that to actually matter? Because that's what he's looking at, championship, not round two, we had a good season. Yeah, because he got his MVP last year. So that's not even the the key focus anymore. Right, exactly. Yeah, he's had the individual accolades. You know, he's, uh, you know, certainly like focused on team accomplishments because in the forever Embiid Jokic debate, he got absolutely wiped off the face of the earth last season, you know? Yep. So so I, I do think... Whether it's another trade, I mean, who else would be out there that would really be a needle mover for them? That's what I'm trying. Like OG and Anobi, like I just think he's one of the most overrated players in the league at this point. I look at the teams that are willing to blow it up. Uh, Raptors, Bulls might be sellers. Um, I don't know if they have enough to get Levine or someone. Can uh, I interest Utah you in Kyle Jazz, Kuzma? huh? The Wizards, Kyle Kuzma. No, they're not giving up on Kuzma. They should. There's like basketball terrorism going on right now in D.C. between it's him horrible. and Jordan Poole. <laughs> um, They're making a mockery of the league. It's driving insane. Utah, anyway. Utah's gone off to a bad start. You know, Danny Ainge might be like, all right, whatever. Enough of this fun and games. Let's start shipping some of these guys off. So I don't know. Dude, I, there's, marketing, there's marketing and Philly marketing would, would be, be nice next to a electric. I don't know yeah. if they have enough, but um, geez, that would be electric. So, yeah, I, I think there will be options. Let's see, right? Um, still too early to see what teams might want to start selling. I, Yeah, I wonder, like, man, now I just think about marketing. Yeah, that would be really good. Look at Minnesota. I mean, they wouldn't give, They wouldn't obviously move Towns, but, towns like, will not be moved. there's nothing really there that would work. I'm just trying to think. Atlanta has not looked awesome. Do they look at, like, a DeAndre Hunter deal? Again, like, does that make a difference? Let's throw one more three and D wing into that pile. Like, I'm not sure. Um, uh, yeah. So we'll see. I, I, I do think they did good business trying to get him out of there. Uh, somehow Harden has now quit on his third team. And in every instance has went to the exact number one and only preferred <laughs> destination. I don't know how this is possible. Um, certainly made sense when he was in Houston at the peak of his powers, but he's just gotten materially worse since then. And still some has not changed. Uh, his ability to affect change with this trade demands truly remarkable. One of one. Yep. Um, okay. Rest of the league. Let's start with overreaction. So what is, and, and I, I just want to go on record to say, like, I know a lot of times, especially early on the season, we're going to reference our over-unders because that was kind of where we drew the line on what we thought of a team. We're both going to forget what the hell we did. 
pretty soon. I've already I forgotten don't. half these picks. I remember. So I actually think I'm doing awesome. My number one under was Memphis. They are looking pretty terrible at 0-5, getting smacked every night. But anyway, neither here nor there. My point is more, I'm willing to move off of the over-unders and just talk as I see it today, because I'm not going to remember my anchor point. I just want to put that out there for the audience. Okay. I'll call you out if you're already contradicting your, your over-under. Oh, I will be. All right. So what do you got is like sort of like your big overreaction uh, today or anything that you see? I'll ask this in the form of a question ago. so it seems yeah. less definitive. Okay. And I'll get your reaction. Is LeBron cooked? <laughs> I'm telling you what I'm seeing. I, I These games, you know, they're – a lot is made of like, oh, he's only playing 35 minutes, whatever. I know there's some games he played more. There's He's getting to the rim, but there's very little lift. I think he's only getting to the rim where there's no resistance whatsoever. I don't see him doing much damage down low necessarily. Yeah. The three-point shot comes and goes. The effort comes and goes on offense. He settles for those threes way late in the game, as and sometimes he makes them, and it looks great like against Orlando. Um, But... I don't know. It's too early for him to settle into this very kind of passive mode. And and I'm, I think that he just might not have it anymore. Uh, I mean, he's still an amazing player, top 15 player in the NBA today. I But if he's playing like this in game three, game four, I don't know what's going to happen this postseason. So is he cooked? I've texted you, I think, four times now being like, I think LeBron is cooked. So you know where I stand on it. I just – and we're going to be eating crow. Maybe even this game versus the Clippers, but like the lack of lift, the lack of burst. I was watching versus Orlando, and they ended up winning that game. He couldn't get around guys. Um, I know they have a lot of long wings and a bunch of guys to throw at him. He's thirty nine. I mean, he's in freaking year twenty one. So on one hand, it's like is LeBron cooked is a hot take, but in no way, shape, or form like the guys who have averaged the most points. I think in year twenty one before this season are like it's like eight points a game or something like that. So this is truly uncharted territory for him to even be a top 15 to 20 player in the league. I just, you know, he's going to have nights like tonight at first half against Clippers, which is when we're recording this right now. He has 17 points on six and nine shooting. Looks great. But he's the master of being able to look great even when he doesn't look good. That's just his, has always been his ability. His stats have always been amazing. And you don't feel that impact. Um I feel like their two wins this season, they sort of lucked out. And Lakers as a whole look sort of blah, right? Yeah. And then when you're saying things like, oh, well, we don't have Jared Vanderbilt back, like that's when you know you have a problem in terms of roster construction. Like we were all, all over the Lakers. Everybody was on the over. I actually think you took the under, right? I took the under, yeah. Yeah. So, um, shit, I just said I wasn't going to reference over-unders. But, you know, I took the over. I thought this was a well-constructed team. And I know they've had some injuries, but Davis and James have played every game and it has not mattered. That's the trouble. I mean, Davis has played well, too. Like, outside of that one second half where everyone was kind of like, you can't do this. He's been playing well on both sides of the floor. I mean, he's averaging 26 and 14. Yeah. So, I I mean, you could take my LeBron Cook point to a larger one. Like, are the Lakers in trouble? I think it's way too early. Um, But... A little bit slow out the gates. We'll see what happens tonight because this is a big game against the Clippers, and right now they are still they're down thirteen, down at thirteen half. and a half. So, well, the Clippers own them, but that leads me to my point, which is I think I was totally wrong about the Battle of LA. Um, thought the Clippers were going to fade, Lakers were going to kind of overtake them, and it's really gone the other way. Paul George looks incredible um, to start the season, which he pretty much said, right? He's like, "This is a vengeance tour season for me." I've started this really successful podcast. 
freaking Jerry West came on the podcast. He was like, you and Kawhi need to play more. This is unacceptable. So the fact that you have Jerry West on his own show telling him to go suit up more. Um, no, what's next? They're going to win the in-season tournament, I think, at this rate. Um, <laughs> so I just love the way Paul George is playing. I love the way Russell Westbrook's playing. He's playing like he's never played before in his career. Just so within himself. He has like Up an under 20. Now. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, this is, yeah, like, I guess all of this could look foolish in a week or it could look even smarter. Um, but the hard, that's why the Harden trade was so interesting because I know they didn't have a huge sample size, but it felt like they were rolling and playing really well together. And there could have been more fringe trades. Maybe that was a Malcolm Brogdon team. Remember, they originally tried to trade for him before he failed his physical. That was a kind of deal that I thought would make more sense than going and upending your whole, uh, your whole scheme. But he's still talented. But anyway, I just think the Clippers have played really well. And across the board, they've gotten good production from their three guys for sure. But even Zubach and some others, Norm Powell, et cetera. Yeah, the Clippers have definitely been a nice surprise. They're playing well. They're playing all their guys. And I think we talked about it once again over under Bod. But they were a 44-win team last year mm-hmm. with all the games they missed. So I think we forget just because they're so disappointing in the sense that they should be so much better year to year. Uh, this is a well-constructed team, a team with a high floor. And if these guys are playing, there's no reason why they can't be a top four seed. Now, before we go to the other overreactions, I do want to highlight that a week into the season, do you know, I'm looking at the standings from one week into the season last year. Some of the surprises, right? Portland was four and one. (laughs) Utah, we already knew that, right? They were doing really well. Uh, the Kings 0-4. Really? I forgot about that. Yep. Um, San Antonio 3-2. and um, Obviously, the Lakers changed the roster. Some other teams changed the roster. You go what to were the, the Lakers at this point? They were 0-3. Hmm. Yeah, it was bad. Remember those days. You go to the Eastern Conference. You look a, mo- uh, a week in. You've got Philly at 1-4. Okay. Um, you had Atlanta at three and one. You had Washington at three and one. Um, so this is all just to say, you know, there are a lot of surprises. We don't want to over-index on any one of them. Um, Absolutely, none of this conversation matters essentially. <laughs> but I think there's some there's some things that are sustainable, right? You look at the way the Celtics are playing. Obviously, they're absolutely loaded, right? They're going to be really good. Versus you look at the way Milwaukee's playing, which is super up and down, and it's not really time for concern yet. They're just figuring out, you know, yeah. adding a guy of Dame Lillard. So I'm not going to be too worried. Miami, that's a team I am a little concerned about because they were showing these signs last regular season before they went on an absolute heater and then they got worse, right? So I think there's certain things that I do feel like a little bit New Orleans has played well with Zion. That's the way they've always been with Zion. Right. So you have to assume that that is sustainable as long as he is sustainable. So that that to me is kind of how I'm looking at it. But there's so much going around in the league and like guys like Luca, you know, again, it's not surprising that Luca's playing an MVP level. He's done that for many stretches of his career. He just hasn't put it together for the full 82. So will he do that this year? It wouldn't shock me at all. I mean, he was my pick for MVP preseason. So. Yeah, so I mean, I, I was cherry picking examples, of course, right? There are other things that held true, but um, it is interesting just because some of those you forget, like you forget that the Kings were that bad to start, right? Same roster, but like you said, it's the same thing with Milwaukee. New coach, 
new pieces. It takes a while to to acclimate. So some of these teams will get off the slower start. Um, um, what do you make of this? I mean, all jokes aside, what do you make of like Kawhi playing back to back, Zion showing up every night? Like, did the team doctors all huddle and we're like, eh, let's move off of load management? Like, what happened? I think I uh, and there's a big debate, right? The NBA says it's the teams saying they're being cautious, whereas sometimes we think it's the players. I think in Kawhi's case, I think the team is like, yo, I think Balmer had a conversation with him. He's like, you got to start playing. <laughs> um, we need you to play. And I think Kawhi also realizes that, look, this is the time to actually maybe try it. This is their last shot, potentially, at another mm-hmm. title um, before this whole thing blows up. So, and with Zion, same thing. Like last season has been, you know, he's heard a lot of the noise. I think it's on, he feels like he wants to actually give it a go this season. The question with all these guys, though, is how long will it last? Yeah, it's the first week of the season. They can play back-to-backs. But game 50, are they still going to be doing that? That'll be more interesting to see how the mm-hmm. team manages their their load later in the season, especially when the West playoff rates gets really tight, which we all expect it to. Um, what happens then? Yeah, I mean, at that point, teams are going to make decisions, right? Do they want in? Do they want out? You'll have a general sense of like, you know, I could see a team like, for example, there's some that are not going to change course no matter what happens. The Sacramento's, Golden States, Phoenix's, yep. Denver's, et cetera, the world. They're all, they're all in, right? And when I say all in, it doesn't mean they're going to make a bunch of trades. It means they're not going to be sellers. So it's really about the other ones. Like Minnesota's in- really interesting because they don't have their control of their picks. They have looked a little uneven. Um, they beat the shit out of Denver tonight with gave Denver its first loss. They also like lost a 20-point lead to Atlanta two days ago. So they are Atlanta of the West because you can't figure out either team until the season's over. So it's just going to be interesting team. What do these teams do? Like, you know, there's a lot of talk about Embiid to the Knicks, but if they don't get him, do they go after Cat? And is there a trade that still makes the, you know, the the, the Timberwolves stay competitive with the Julius Randle quickly, whatever, whatever kind of thing. Yep. So I'm just interested to see like 50 games in, we'll get a much better read on where teams stand. Right now, everyone's just in the feel out process and, Again, like I mentioned, like how can you take Phoenix and evaluate anything? They've been up big in the two games they lost. Booker's played one out of four games and Beal's played zero out of four games. So you kind of have to throw it all out right now. Yeah, you're right. But isn't this the point, Nathan, that like, or I I mentioned this before. We either have to have it one way or the other. Either the West is good and everyone's going to be amazing or we're going to expect a lot of these teams to play it safe in the regular season and not even worry about playoff position. And so we're already seeing teams like Phoenix clearly are playing on the more cautious side. I'm not saying that these guys aren't injured. They probably are, but yeah, they're definitely playing on the more cautious side. Um, whereas the Clippers are not. So I don't know, like we'll see how these teams continue to play it. But if the Clip- the Suns are already doing that, clearly they don't even care about playoff position. I do feel like teams are going for it though. Like, you know, you look just look at like Steph, Jokic, LeBron, you know, uh, SGA, Ant, like Kawhi, all the stars of the league, Luca, are playing every night in the West. Like, I don't think the West is. I think they are really good. I think the absolute best team in the league is Boston, and then probably Denver after that, and then who knows? Because who knows what we're getting from Milwaukee, from Philadelphia? So I think think teams in the West. 
see the the middle and say, hey, we want no part of this because by season end, it's just going to be the same as last year. What was it, like three or four games separated like three from ten at some point near the end of the season? I I don't see why it would be any different. And you're a team like Sacramento. You benefited greatly from playing your guys down the stretch and getting that three spot, whereas some other teams didn't do that. They got stuck in the play-in. New Orleans gets knocked out. Like that's certainly going to happen to a team that, you know, load manages a little bit too much. So I think that's what they're trying to avoid. Yeah, no, you're fair. Right now, the early returns are showing that everyone is gunning for this because teams that typically haven't played these guys this heavy minutes, this early, all the back-to-backs, it's happening. So, yeah. Let let me give you one more overreaction. Is Wemby going to be a top five player in the next five years? Over under five years. Or do you think he's not even going to be a top five player? I think he'll be a top five player within the next five years. Um, and I think the big reason for that is because although he looks like a lost bird for half the game, there's like there's these stretches that even now he takes over. It's just blinding. Um, you know, it's happened every game where there's these five minute runs where he just really gets after it. Um, and I think that is. It's, it's really impressive for a kid his age, and also it's just scratching the surface because he can't really dribble. He hasn't really learned how to read NBA defenses. There's so much more to go, but his floor is so high because of his size and his, you know, his movement. So the hype is a lot. He's not going to be like rookie or LeBron where he's putting up like pretty much NBA-ready numbers yet, but he's going to have night-to-night a lot of highlights. And I just, There's no reason for me to think that won't drive consistency moving forward. I would say under five years as well. Uh, I think what's impressed me most is we knew he'd have inconsistent stretches and the shooting would sometimes wane. And But the stretches he's played well, I didn't expect him to be this dominant. I didn't expect him mm-hmm. to be this much of a game changer, both offensively and defensively. And the Spurs are playing well. And a lot of it, I think, is attributed to how he's been. So he's definitely... Uh, Gonna have an impact. Already is having an impact, and I think within the next couple of years will be a top player. Um, but it's been fun, man. I mean, these games are must watch TV. Like even last night, like you were talking about the Suns, they looked dead in the water, and then all of a sudden they came back. And it's not just because of Wemby, the whole team, but the fact that they can stay in those games against the Suns when last year they were getting waxed off the floor. Yeah. It's that's another team in the West that no one's expecting the playoffs, but they're going to be competing night in and night they're out. Be competing, yeah, they almost beat the Mavericks opening night. Like, it took a heroic down the stretch effort from yep. Luca and Kyrie. So they they're still so young that like defensively they get lost. Like even the Phoenix game, they gave up wide open threes for a big part of that game. But then when they tightened up, when they had guys like Devin Vassell, Keldon Johnson going off, you saw the athleticism kind of pop off the screen in a pretty impressive way. What's next? What do you have? So for me, and I'll stick with the question format, right? So so to me, I would say, hmm, who's the first team to blow it up between the Bulls, the Raptors, and the Nets? Or maybe none of those. Nets won tonight. The last of the Nets. I'm going to go with the Raptors. Okay. And do you think Actually, they... no. No, no. I'm going to go with the Bulls. Okay. 
No, no, no. I'm gonna go with the Raptors. Sorry, Raptors. <laughs> and here's why: I just think they've got it to the point where their assets are so val. Like, we, I mean, we joke about Ananobi commanding the the picks. We talk about Siaka, but think about how many teams would benefit. All of a sudden, the Lakers' depth does not look that great. They might want to make an offseason or a midseason move. Memphis might panic after their start. They may want to start making like all these teams. I think the Kings Shams reported that they were active in the offseason. Look at Anunoby. They might be a buyer. There's going to be a lot. And Philly, we already talked about. There's going to be a lot of potential buyers in the middle of the season as teams are gunning for the playoffs. And I think this is the best time for Toronto to sell off these assets. So to sell to trade Ananobi, trade Siakam. Siakam is a free agent at the end of the year, but he'll still have value. So the the reason the Bulls, I think, have gotten off to a worse start. The Raptors are actually playing well. But the Bulls, it just feels like ownership and management, they're not in any rush. I think maybe the off seasons where they'll take another look at this and blow it up, but I'm not so sure they're gonna do it this year. And they should, but if they're in that play-in mix, they may say, let's just keep keep it going and see how far we can maybe get into the first round, sneak a couple games there. So I go to Toronto. And then and Brooklyn's at the very bottom, I think. I was going to say, there's are there no any push. other teams that you would, would add maybe to that list, like a Memphis, or do they just wait for Ja to come back, or others? I think Memphis waits. I think Utah, I mentioned, potentially. Because um, what are they doing with this roster? Like, what yeah. what's the end game? Like, Taylor Horton Tucker is getting big minutes like John Jordan Clarkson's nice, but he's yeah. you know, like none of these guys are guys you want to build around it besides marketing. And even marketing has his limitations. So I think they got caught up with a really nice start last year. They obviously have a good coach with Will Hardy. And so there's an element of like, Oh, is this going to be something, but you can't be good enough to matter in the West. So what does it do to win 36 games every year, which is yep. what they're going to do, what they're designed to do with this roster. So, um, Chet, are we sleeping on Chet as a generational kind of talent? When I say generational, maybe I'll scale back. Are we sleeping on him as like a multi-time all-star, all-NBA kind of talent? You might be sleeping. I've been wide awake. I picked him as my rookie of the year. No, but um, I, I think You're because I, I think we'd be talking a lot more about Chet if Wemby didn't exist. Yeah, he's had a great by Ch- by start. Um, some of the shooting, some of the, and, and he's playing for a team that's winning. And I think, I think we always forget, man, that playing the contributions on a winning team are so. And not that San Antonio is not winning; they've had some wins. The contributions on a winning team just mean so much more. And I think what he's been able to do early in the season on that OKC team that's gotten off to a great start, um, he's displayed a lot of the same skill set right he's been uh he averages what 15 6 and 3 3 blocks a game yeah um this thunder 3 and 1 so i absolutely think that he is as advertised and he is going to be a multi time all-star i really believe that if he stays healthy so if you're and i agree i think he's really really special just defensively and that length and kind of everything we heard about from his rim protection despite not having that size we even talked about it right before uh, he his rookie year when he was drafted, kind of what he would project to be. So he's been playing center for them, which is really interesting, right? Because usually you would think that body's tight wouldn't hold up at center. They've made it work. Wemby's the exact opposite. They've been starting Zach Collins to avoid him having to play center. So it's kind of interesting how the two different approaches they've taken. So 
the question I would have with if you're OKC, you have this, you know, superstar in a an SGNA <laughs> SGA. Sorry, I've been looking at too many uh 10Ks, I guess. Um <laughs> stupid joke. Um <laughs> you have SGA, you have Giddy, Jalen Williams, all these picks, chat. Kind of how do you think about, I guess, their team building approach? Like, is it um keep them and let it ride and see what happens? Is it start to consolidate around assuming SGA and Chet are your two quote unquote untouchables? What would you do here? Because they're very, very good, but they're not great. And they're sort of at the level of being ready to be great soon with another piece. I I used to have an opinion on this and I changed my tune last year after seeing what the Kings went through. Um, I am a, a believer that, Presty just loves to pick hoard and doesn't make enough move. Given how many picks they have, I think they should make some fringe moves. I don't think they make the splash move this year. I don't think they go all in on a big, uh, you know, a Siakam or someone like that yet. I think you say that for next season. And the reason being, you still want to see what you have. Dude, this team finished 10th last year. Yeah. You want to see what went, uh, what Chet does to the ceiling of this team. You want to see one more year with these guys, how they play, how, um, SGA, if he can repeat his success last year, and then there's no rush. Then I think next offseason, you reevaluate and see what's the splash move. I think what they should do this year is they should shore up the bench. And I mean, come on, some of those first rounders, they can they can part ways with. But I wouldn't mess too much with the chemistry because the problem with bringing in a star too early is if it doesn't work out, the, the problem is you need to separate how good is this team without that star? And how good are they with that star? And I still think you need to first figure out how good they are without him before you understand who you should be going after. Because the worst Mm -hmm. mistake you can make is go after a player that you think is going to leapfrog you to the top of the league when in reality, maybe your team was not that good to begin with. So you need one more year to see if what they did last year was real. Can they build on that and then make that move? So I think they wait. Yeah, I think I would as well. I think the question to me is just... First of all, you can't pay all these guys. So you have to have your own hierarchy of who you would pay. They've already paid SGA. You know, Giddy would be next, then Jalen Williams and Chet. So there's probably a couple of years still before you have to finalize that decision. The other option could be like adding high quality role players around it. Like let's say there's a guy, and I'm just throwing out his name, not him specifically, but like T- Tobias Harris level player or a Jeremy Grant level player, right? Who's not going to cost as much draft equity. And it's not going to cost maybe one of your top four guys, but could be a nice fit. It's almost like when a when a rookie QB, you can just pad players around him because he doesn't make anything. You can almost treat your current roster like that because it's really only SGA that's on a max deal. Everyone else is, you know, Dort is on 17, 18 million. Again, when the cap's going up, they're going to have a lot of flexibility. So I would actually look at maybe the fourth or fifth best guy on the team. Honestly, Jeremy Grant would be great or some Boyan Bogdanovich, maybe some of those guys who can fit no matter what you want to do offensively and are clearly going to give you a higher floor and, and provide shooting spacing for, for uh, your lead ball handlers. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of move I'm talking about. I think that's makes sense. And look, Jalen Williams, uh, Giddy, they're, they're all really good players, but ultimately the guys you're building around are SGA and Chet and maybe Giddy, maybe Giddy's good enough. The other guys, I think we hype up some of these young rosters a little bit too much. They're all, you can part ways with them. 
like you don't need to like commit to all seven of these guys, eight of these guys. So I think ultimately they're all trade fodder potentially. Um, <laughs> unless, you know, let's say Jalen Williams makes a huge leap this year or you get another leap from Giddy. That's why you need the second year to see what you have in this young roster and then figure out who you really want to build around. And is, is there already a third piece next to Chet and SGA that you want to keep? But I don't think they're in a hurry. Um, and people like you are blowing them left and right already anyway. They're going to be a top three seed without making any moves. So Well, I said that when they were up 20 versus the Pelicans. <laughs> I changed my tune now that they lost that lead and, and the game. Um, okay, where else should we go? Detroit. Give a little shout-out to Detroit, who looks pretty competent. I know they lost tonight, but Osir Thompson is legit. Cade Cunningham seems to be delivering on some of the promise of being a number one overall pick. Jalen Dern has been incredible. I was very down on Detroit. I thought they were kind of still nowhere to be seen. Not that they're going to make noise, but I could see them kind of winning that low 30s and starting to build towards something. It's kind of exciting to see what they have with all these young guys actually healthy and playing. Yeah, we both were not high on them. Uh, And they've shut us up. Jalen Duran's been amazing, but Cade's shooting. We literally called out his shooting specifically. Yeah. um, Given he shot like 30 some low 30s last year, maybe 30, 31% um, or the year before. He's coming out on fire and he's hitting everything. Yeah. So who knows if that's just an anomaly, but if he's shooting like that and with the rest of his skill set, skill set and they've got enough contributing pieces around him, they're going to be they're going to be feisty all year. I still don't like their roster. Yeah. Um and, you know, lost in how well everyone else is playing is that Jaden Ivey had one good game against the Thunder. Yeah, twenty points. Yeah, he's been kind of buried. I was he's still kind of been buried. That. Yeah, he's he's only playing twenty minutes a game. So I he and he's supposed to be one of their focal points. So they need to kind of figure out what they have with all those guys. And if I were them, I'd be giving Ivy more minutes. I was very surprised by um, by Jaden Ivy. I mean, he's not in the starting lineup, which that's fine. I mean, maybe you want him to run the second unit. He's kind of like a point guard anyway. But used a top five pick on him. He flashed a good amount in his rookie year. So maybe with Cade is just tough. I mean, Cade's a hard player to play with if you're if yep. you need the ball in your hands, right? Because that's what he does, um, and he's gonna work magic with a guy like Jaron Dern, who's all he's doing is screening and rolling. Um, so, you know, we've seen this this type of archetype. He's not quite Luca Harden level usage, but he is like a let's get three shooters and a great pick and roll man and let him run the offense, and that's gonna be their best offense. Um, so I think that's what they're going to start to develop too. And then I think, you know, I'm in or Oscar Thompson, what he's going to eventually be is he almost look, reminds me of like a more talented, maybe guard version of like an Aaron Gordon, a little bouncier kind of cutting, moving, passing his rebounding has been incredible defense. I think that's what he's going to end up becoming relied on. And as a secondary ball handler, because I do think he has that skill set. He's so smooth. Um, yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a freak athletically too. Yeah, they've uh, – see, it's like, wouldn't you so much rather be that team than Washington? I mean, I know that's obvious. <laughs> Where did that drive-by shooting come from? Yeah, <laughs> obviously. What if I said I would rather – I mean, dude, I started this podcast by saying Jordan Poole and Kyle Kuzma are committing I, basketball terrorism. And not – we're going back to the over-under again. I went over on Washington, and I'm just about to blow so my brains up think. thinking about that. They are so – <laughs> the funny thing is they randomly beat Memphis, who is a dumpster fire. Yeah. 
and have gotten blown out in every other game. So that's that's the good thing. Um, all right. Anything else from you, week one? I mean, dude, we got to talk. So the the in-season tournament starts this Friday. Have you seen it? Can we talk about these courts? Yeah, let's talk about the courts. I I will go on the record by saying they're... Stop. I, I'm a 7 out of 10 on them. I think I, think I like I'm the overall... negative 7. <laughs> I like the overall idea. They're going to pop, so you know that. You're like, what the hell's going on? Oh, it's an in-season tournament game. You know what's happening. Um... They're very different. Each team, the colors are so different that it's unique for every team. Now, the biggest problem I have is that they tied it to the City Edition jerseys, which to me is the dumbest thing. Like, why don't they just have every in-season tournament court look like your team's yeah, standard because guess what? The, in, the, the guess what? The City Edition jerseys aren't even the same colors as their normal team. Well, that's the problem. So that's, why, that's how you get the Pelicans green and purple court. You get the... The Wizards, um, like, liquid death water court. <laughs> um, and I think there were too many gray courts. But overall, look, I like that they're trying something different. I know. Why do, they need to, why do they need to try so many things different all the time? Like, they're trying to figure out how to fix the league. This is, like, pure scientific method. You can only have one independent variable at a moment. They have, like, nine independent variables floating around trying to decide which one is the most effective at driving fan interest. As it turns out, none of them. No, it's it's not. No, no, that's not what they're doing. What they're doing is they're trying to give the in-season tournament its own life, right? And to do that, you need to make it look. Because if it's, if it's just in the regular season slate of games, how would you ever know it's different? They need visual cues, and that's what they're doing. First of all, first of all, th- there's no. <laughs> okay, time out. Let me rewind here. Guys just want the stars to play basketball and like to play basketball. It's not hard to ask for what we want. We just want to know that when we're turning on the Pelicans-Clippers game, Kawhi and Zion are going to be the floor. We don't give a fuck what the floor looks like, which colors are on there, which teams' jerseys and logos are printed on the people's faces walking into the arenas. Like They just want these guys to play. Again, I'm in favor of the in-season tournament for for whatever. Like It's fine. Like It's going to be fun and... Ultimately, this whole thing has turned into a caricature, so it doesn't really matter. Point being, they could have made the courts look unique and be very clear that they're, you know, in-season tournament without them making them like Boise State. Like, what is going on? Like, the Suns are playing on a completely purple court. It's going to be hard to see because they're all going to be wearing crazy jerseys as they always do. And guess what? Like... They could have just done the stripe down the middle with the trophy behind the logo and everything else they'd done and made the main part of the floor wood, the normal wood. Like, what is the need to turn this into, like, freaking Burger King, like, Play Palace? Like, I don't understand why we're in that. Like, the sanctity of the league is ultimately not that important because the NBA is trying to always be progressive and move things and not really want to stick to tradition. But why is it imperative to go to these lengths to almost look like a bit of a cartoon show. They might have overdone it with some of the colors, right? But like, let's, I mean, you had I got to no, see what it looks like. Speaking of visual aesthetics, like. you had no problem with Chinese lettering all over these jerseys, right? Which have no tie to any, like, so where do you draw the line? Like, we had sleeves. We had uh, Chinese lettering. We had green jerseys for Christmas. The NBA has always done kind of weird stuff. This is just taking it one level further. Granted, yes. <laughs> the huge level. But it's like, you know what? I like it better than boring ass empty courts. I like it better than, you know, when the, let me remind you, do you remember the bubble? 
how just crappy those courts looked with the paint not filled. Okay, um, but that's not the other option. Nobody's saying to go back to the bubble courts. We're saying just do something to make it clear it's a playing game. I have no problem with that. I like that idea. But maybe tone down like the use of every color in the entire palette to, to do, be showcased on these courts. Do you remember the old school Charlotte Hornets court? Yes. Yeah. Those those to, popped. Those And think nice. about how little of the court was colored. It was just inside the three-point line. No, it was popped. everything outside the three-point line. No, dude. Yeah. Look it up. I'm going to look it up right now. What are you talking about? You're saying it's the entire... Oh, no, it was just inside the three-point line. Yeah, I was like, what are you saying? Like, <laughs> like did you watch 90s Bulls or not? Point Dude, B, I love that Hornets team. Think about it. Just inside the three-point line, and that popped for you. There's so many ways to do this with like, without this absolutely like wild decision to go this route. I think Adam Silver has like, lost it. I mean, he's going to sign a fat new TV deal and all that, and so we're going to keep trying stuff, but... At some point, I feel like we've 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 run our course on innovation, and let's just Look, play basketball with the guys who are paid to play basketball. Think about what the approval rating is right now for these courts, right? Maybe fifteen percent. I think by the end of the year they go up to sixteen percent. It'll be low, but it'll go up. My point is, it'll turn more people into fans than the other way around. That's my prediction. I'll be curious. I mean, look, I'm interested to see what it looks like in live action because it's hard to tell from a little image rendering thing. But and Friday is the first game, I guess. So so basically all 30 teams are playing Friday, right? Is that the idea? No, I don't. Does it start this Friday? Yeah. Oh. But I don't think are all 30 playing. I'm looking at the schedule here. I mean, it should be because every playing game is Tuesdays, Fridays. For, I mean, maybe you eventually, maybe there's ten total days, and eventually you get to eight games or whatever the playing number of games is. But that was my understanding. I may be wrong. No, there's only seven games on Friday. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess they play them over time. All right. Well, I think the Wizards play, so I'll be tuned in to our Aquamarine Steel. Uh, orange court that's supposed to represent the Wizards color scheme. I'm telling you, man, it might look, it, you don't know. It might look better than you think. If Jordan Poole is confused about which guys were on his team to begin with, I can only imagine what's going to happen with this <laughs> with this setup. That's, that's With this point. configuration, he's going to be throwing it into the stands. Did you see that's they uh, threw it off the glass alley-oop down 20 today? I did not see that. I did see the clip from the last game where, he, what was it, he... Backed it out behind the three-point line. He tried to pull the Steph. Oh, no, yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. The Steph one and two was bad. Oh, my. Think about how many <laughs> highlights he already has. Four games into the season. Low lights, I mean. Well, JaVel McGee, when he was on the Wizards, got a shacting a fool like every single day. And he basically redefined what it meant to shack a fool. I think yeah. uh, I think Poole is going to give him a run for his money of that famed 2010 Speaking of JaVel McGee, he's looking nice. He's looking spry. I can't believe he's still in the league. I mean, he looked like he was going to be out of the league in like three years when he, you know, we drafted him in 2008. I know. I remember. So the fact that he's now one of the oldest players in the league, three-time champion, gold medalist, you know, veteran presence, solid bench guys, kind of blows my mind, but props to him. Um, 
All right. I think that's it. I think that's a wrap. It's a good first week of basketball. Um, a lot going on. A lot to come. And, you know, probably by like, you know, most people don't pay attention to the NBA till at least Christmas. And a lot of people don't pay attention till football's over. So we're talking February. So these are really like the early days. Like only the few of us are actually watching. Um, I actually feel differently. I think, okay. I think there's more attention on the NBA this year, early in the season. And I don't know if it's Wemby, the fact that the Lakers, a big team are coming in with higher expectations, the Dame trade, I think there's much more casual interest in the NBA this season. I have nothing to back that up with ratings or anything, but I have. And right. football, I think it's also football has not been as exciting. The offense is down. Football has um, been so bad, dude. It's been so, so, so bad. Like some yeah. of these quarterbacks are like, I know some of these guys are backups, but it's just, it's like they, it's like we're watching 1950s leatherheads with some of these offenses. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think the NBA is actually uh, there's there's a lot of interest this year. Not that it ever supersede the NFL, but it does help when the other product is like uh, watching who's the Giants quarterback who threw for negative one <laughs> yard, whatever that guy's name was. Him, Tommy DeVito. That's right. Um, it does, and I, and I think honestly, like the advent of FanDuel and stuff, the regular season schedule people are betting on all kinds of props i mean you know this why am i i moved to i moved to get rid of fanduel (laughs) just come to cali i know i might need to move just to save my save me for myself um yeah you might be right it's a lot easier and like basketball is such an easy sport to bet like random guy x to get 15 points or you know like you just know what the volume is going to be and stuff Whereas in the NFL, you're betting on some random receiver to get 50 yards. He doesn't get looked at two times all game because, you know, because that's the way the scheme went. And we see that yep. all the time. So, yep. um, all right. Well, that is a wrap for us. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media. We will talk to you next week. Bye.